Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and my other armored core is a car. I'm Jason, and I got in the dang robot without being asked. From Software has been one of the most dominant developers in the industry for well over a decade, but their roots go much deeper. Armored Core brought mech action to the PlayStation 1 in 1997 and launched its last installment in 2012 with Armored Core 5. Now, 11 years later, Armored Core has burst back onto the scene with Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. And good news, folks. TBM is here to give you their opinions completely unburdened by petty issues like not having any experience with the series or not knowing what an Armored Core is. Let's get into it. Armored Core. I thought it was something else for so long that I never even like gave it a second thought. Like I had absolutely no idea what Armored Core was and realizing as I started playing this game that I had so many things wrong about this series. I mean, I think a big part of it is just how many mech games came out when we were a kid. For sure. I feel like the PS1 and the PS2 had... Probably how many games came out for those systems? Like a couple thousand. So (laughs) three quarters of those were probably mech games. (laughs) Yeah, it felt like there was always one coming out. And it was funny because none of them were super popular and they were never it was never a genre that I like I had friends that played or anything. So it always was just on this like my peripheral with no actual thought. (laughs) I don't know about like armored core. I know mech warrior was really big with people. You know, like a little bit older than us. My dad was kind of into MechWarrior, I think. And I, d- I do remember meeting people that had those like ridiculously complicated PC setups where you would have almost like a flight stick, but then you would also have like extra buttons added on and like the uh, the big joystick for aiming and all that stuff. Like I definitely saw at least a couple people that had those kinds of setups but I don't think I ever actually talked to them about these specific types of games or anything. Yeah, never really broached my interest. I was more of a fantasy guy. Or, as we've talked about extensively, licensed tie-in games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only one I ever actually played was Zone of the Enders, but I didn't get super into it. Like it wasn't like I played like several hours maybe. And I liked it, but I just never like clicked with it. I also was playing it too young, and that was a very complicated game narratively. <laughs> I played a bit of Zone of the Enders when the remake came out. Mostly just because Kojima was involved. Not like any real interest in the genre or anything like that. And I don't remember any of it. You probably guess at this point, we have not played a lot of mech games and by extension have not played the Armored Core series. As I came to realize these last couple of weeks, I was thinking that Armored Core was front mission and front mission was Armored Core and it was a whole mess of things I had mixed up. So this is my first foray into this series. And I gotta say, like as a complete newbie and as someone that doesn't know a lot about the series, I still found this game significantly more fun than I would have ever expected. Yeah, I definitely had a way better time than I expected. Not least of which because I thought I was going to be playing a turn-based uh, Fire Emblem game. style game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I don't know exactly how to describe Front Mission. I didn't play it growing up, so... Front Mission, if you're unfamiliar, uh, which we're also fairly unfamiliar, is, <laughs> is a very similar concept to Armored Core in terms of your building mechs to go into combat against other mechs, but it's a turn-based strategy RPG, not a real-time like action shooter thing. <laughs> a little bit of setup here. So this is a series that takes place in this far-off future where things have pretty much gone as bad for humanity as they reasonably could for generations upon generations upon generations. And in this game, you play as a mercenary who pilots a giant mech called an Armored Corps uh, who assists militaries and governments and corporations in going out and destroying the bad guy Armored Corps. <laughs> Uh, bad guy being a very, very, very subjective thing in this particular game. A very, very subjective thing that changes literally on a mission-by-mission mission basis. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially early on. I, I think that it kind of... I haven't played the last couple chapters. I only played through the end of chapter three. There's a lot of missions in this game where it'll be like, okay, you need to go in and fight this occupying force and take out their giant mech at the very end of it. And then your next mission is like, hey, someone just came in here and freaking took out our giant mech. We need some help. And then you go in <laughs> and you, you're you fighting the guys that you literally just helped take yeah. that base. Yeah, like this game has a big emphasis on the fact that you go where the money is and you don't have any control over that. The missions are given to you like without any choice. You have like a handler in narrative that will decide what job you go on next. So you're aiding arms dealers and energy corporations and warring factions in a war and a rebel army at one point and a group of you know, other mercenaries that are trying to like do their own thing separate from the war. It's basically this game is showing you this conflict that's taking place on the planet of Rubicon from all different perspectives. And I think that the game's narrative is very similar to other From Software games in a lot of ways in terms of a lot of it is kind of under the surface. But I think the the narrative is actually one of the weakest parts of this game because at least in my opinion, even what's under the surface isn't especially exciting. <laughs> um, I never at any point in this game actually cared what was happening between these factions. It was more just about there's a new type of giant robot we need you to destroy. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> that was the driving force from the ground up in this game, in my opinion. Armored Core is really about the the future that Metal Gear Solid is trying to prevent. Yeah, very similar aesthetic when you think about it. Like the Armored Cores and the Metal Gear are very similar stylistically, in my opinion. Where my mind kept going while playing this game is sort of to the Monster Hunter series. You go on these very discreet and straightforward missions to go and take out one target. And then you use what you get during that mission to make yourself better so that you can go on better jobs and take on bigger foes. Like, I think that that is sort of the driving force for this entire game. Go out on a mission, kill a thing, use the money you got from that mission to buy better parts so you can kill a bigger thing. Which, in my mind, the only other series that really embodies that is Monster Hunter, where I guess the big difference is that in Monster Hunter you're harvesting parts, not getting money. And in this game, it's just money. That's your only resource. <laughs> but 
Like, that's sort of where the actual draw of the game is. It's not the narrative. It's this idea that if I take down this robot, I'm going to get paid so that I can put better armor and guns on my robot so that I can then fight the next big robot. <laughs> and that is a very compelling concept to me. I mean, I think until you get to, like, Act 3, yeah, pretty much. I do think that the game does get better as you go in terms of there is a more engrossing narrative and your particular character, who is an, a nameless protagonist, essentially starts to have more of their own hangups that they have to deal with, and they start going through their own things. But for the most part, for like the first half of the game, it is just you work for a handler who is doing all the decision-making for you. And I think that that kind of drags you down a little bit from a narrative perspective. But I do think as it gets further in, you you have a little more personal investment in what's going on. I think it kind of brings you into the whole just being a pawn kind of thing. Don't want to get into spoilers really at all for this game because I think, you know, it's something that people just need to get to on their own if they're going to play the game. But for sure. From my understanding, you know, what I've read online on Reddit and whatnot <laughs> while I've been playing this game, like the concept of free will is a pretty big hot button topic in Armored Core. And I think that those first couple of acts in this game are really supposed to kind of put you in the mindset of like your character doesn't really have any will of his own. Like he doesn't have a personality. He doesn't have the ability to really make any decisions beyond what his Armored Core looks like. <laughs> you know, everything that you're doing is being told to you by your handler and he's just getting all of the missions from, you know, A, B and C random multi-trillion dollar company. And, and that's why, like, you do end up in those situations where, you know, in, in one mission you're taking down a giant mech and in the next mission you're replacing that giant mech to protect a faction. But then as you get further in the game, like your missions start to come from alternate sources and you get, you actually end up with some points where you get to choose like, oh, do I want to do this mission where I have to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, or do I want to do this other mission that's going to be maybe more complicated, but pay out more, or, you know, maybe it's much easier. Like there is some choice that gets to get made. And I think that that kind of thing, it ramps up as you play through the game. Because I, I also know that it has multiple endings, you know. I, I think that the first couple of acts are kind of effective at showing, like, you have no free will, and then as you get further in the game, like, you develop it. There is definitely, like, a bleakness and a lack of introspection that is happening in the beginning of the game that I do think gets better and more interesting as it goes. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like, the story is just, it is never the focus in my mind. Like... I feel like there was a version of this game that could have had a really good gripping narrative, but because of the sort of the structure of the game, I think it was sort of shooting itself in the foot because this game is broken into very discrete separated missions, which is an art form that I think is um, underutilized <laughs> in modern gaming. And I think that that was one of the strongest parts of this game, but it's also one of the things that I think is going to turn the most people away because this is not a... This is not like other From Software games where it's, you know, one world where you're progressing through and taking down bosses to get to the next interconnected area. This is, you load into a mission. There is a shortcut scene explaining what's going to happen in the mission. You go and do the mission, and then you're done. And that's all about a five-minute process. Like, missions in this game are very short, very discreet, meant to be replayed. And then 
the only real narrative you see is that little blurb at the beginning. And then at the most pivotal missions in the game, generally like the end of a chapter mission, there might be a cut scene like 80% of the way through leading into a big boss or some important confrontation in some way. It's delivered in very small chunks with some time between them. And the story is always delivered in terms of conversations over a comm system. There's not really like actual cutscenes, other than occasionally you'll see, you know, a mech fly into the fight and they'll give you some quips as they're flying in. <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot of narrative depth happening while you're playing the game. It's almost always in between the actual missions. Yeah, I still think there are like some good characters that kind of rise out of that, though. You know, like I, I think that. Some of the handlers that you work with, or not not necessarily the handlers, but the people that are hiring you as a mercenary, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Gun 2, Michigan, and V, I think it's V4, Rusty. Like, yeah. You run into those characters fairly often throughout the story, and I think you, you kind of develop a little bit of a rapport with them, at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Just because, like, those are the characters that you run into the most often that actually display some kind of personality. Right. And I mean, like, like Rusty, for example, you know, even though he is a faceless character, you only ever see his, his AC, like the handful of times when his AC has been with me on a mission, it has been cool that like, I know that as a character that matters and is important in this world, which means that like, by extension, what I'm doing must also be very important. (laughs) And like, I do think that's pretty cool. Like I did like the missions where you were fighting alongside or in some cases against these like named characters you were working with in the narrative bits of the game. Um, I do just feel like it is still a bit disjointed. A big part of that, in my opinion, probably is the fact that they are faceless characters. Like you only ever see their ACs. You never actually see them as people, mm-hmm. but like at the same time, I'm, I guess that doesn't really matter when you think about what type of game this is and what people are going to this type of game for. So, I mean, I think for all intents and purposes, like, their AC is their character. Sure. You know, like, sure. You don't, you don't know what your character looks like in the game. Yeah. All, you know, yeah. but I assume, you know, by the time you've gotten halfway through the game, you probably have a look for your AC. Oh, absolutely. You know, maybe you change out some individual parts for it, but like, you know, you've come up with your own paint job and you've got, you know, your own colors and stuff like that probably use like similar weapons, you know, as you're playing through it too. For sure. Let's kind of hone in on that mech building part of the game next. Once I would watch some gameplay and I kind of came to grips with what kind of game this was, it got rid of a lot of my fears for just not being able to connect with it in that regard. But then I had another set of concerns that was just like, well, this game has to be the most complicated thing imaginable. <laughs> like building a mech must be an absolute nightmare because there's going to be so many systems at play that are going to like completely obscure everything because FromSoft is already not great at explaining how stats and progression and levels and stuff work in their games. And I will definitely say there is depth to what you're doing with building your mech in this game. That being said, I did not find it actually like complicated at all. I actually thought it was very user-friendly and very, very rewarding to dig into. I think the mech building, other than some balancing issues, is definitely the highlight of this game. I, I think a big part of that is just that 
every piece you put on your mech has a pretty tangible effect on for sure. how you play. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There aren't, there, there's only like one piece, the torso, that really doesn't like change the way that you play all that much. Yeah. And then the torso still is one of your heaviest parts, so it still will have like a little bit of an effect, but its biggest thing is just how much health you have. Right. But, you know, like the other things that you're changing are, you know, your weapons and you have four weapons that you can have equipped at any given time, one on each hand and then one on each shoulder. The legs that you can kind of change between are fairly interesting because it's not just like it's it's not like the torso where it's just armor. There are tank tread legs or there are reverse jointed legs and quad legs and those all completely change the way that you move around and how you play the game as well as kind of changing what weapons you can use because, you know, having four legs means you can hold a lot more stuff than having two. <laughs> right. Yeah, the only real restrictions you have in this game are how much electrical energy your AC takes up and how heavy it is versus how much weight you can carry. Other than that, you can kind of mix and match as you see fit. And even still, you're given ways to expand your storage and your... Uh, energy capacity without making huge sacrifices as you progress in the game. Like you could go in with a very small, very light, very fast AC that, you know, can't carry very big weapons, but can move, you know, double the speed of a regular one and can weave in and out of fights and can get in close to use melee weapons. Or you could have a tank, which has an absolutely absurd amount of HP and is very, very hard to stagger. But isn't that great at maneuvering up close and has terrible flight controls. Like there are just, there are ways you can mix and match parts to make exactly what you want in this game. And the game doesn't make it hard to do that. Like there are a lot of stats, but by and large, you just figure out which ones matter to you and you figure out ways to maximize those. You don't have to look at every single stat as like the end all be all for every single part of your mech. I mean, I think it's really similar to Elden Ring in that way, where like, sure, there is a whole wall of stats that you can look at, but you really only care about, you know, four or five of them. Right. And it all depends on what you're trying to do with the game. For me, I was kind of picturing it being a lot more number heavy. And there are there are a lot of numbers in the game. But I think what it actually is, is a lot more comparable to how you equip a character loadout in like a fantasy RPG. It's just that the difference is you have four weapon slots instead of like one or two. And then the legs are the other big shifting piece. Like the legs aren't just armor. They actually affect how you move. But like by and large, you're still just equipping stuff into slots and, you know, going down the list of these are my four weapons. These are my five, my five body parts. These are my three accessory parts. Like, I mean, it's it's very much just an RPG equipment system when I thought it was going to be something like a lot more complicated than that. I personally still found that I kind of fell into a build that I was comfortable with and hmm. felt kind of, I guess, uninspired to change it. Because <laughs> I, I feel like when you're rolling around with like dual miniguns and dual grenade launchers that just absolutely melt anything that you shoot with it it's kind of hard to justify switching over <laughs> to something else other than just for variety's sake yeah i kind of had two builds that i switched back and forth i do think if i was being completely honest with myself i was only doing it for variety's sake because 
it's just if you build a tank and you put dual miniguns and dual grenade launchers or dual rocket launchers or homing missiles or whatever, just any like bombarding explosive weapon, you could not be beaten in this game until like the very late game. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's a single mission in the game I couldn't go back to and breeze right through by playing as my tank build, especially now that I've unlocked all of like the heaviest armor in the game and I have access to basically every weapon there is, I think. There might be a few that are story-gated in the last chapter, but I, I don't think so. So, I mean, like, at this point, I have one build that is so just egregiously powerful that it absolutely destroys everything else. But I also have another build that I use just a little bit more often that's more like a covers-all-my-bases type of build. I have, like, a spider mech that uses... An energy handgun is like my primary, and then I have like a this thruster fist as my secondary, and then I have like explosive something on one shoulder, and then an, and then like an energy grenade on another. Like I have another, I have another build that's not just as much power as possible, and it's more trying to be prepared for every situation. But at the end of the day, I do still think my super overpowered tank could probably just plow through any of those situations that would expect you to be more diversified <laughs> mm -hmm. i do think experimentation is a huge part of the building too like you can watch videos about how a specific weapon works or you can take it into like a practice course to see how it does on you know a direct hit versus splash damage versus against the shield like there's just ways you can kind of experiment with what's good and i i found myself especially in like the first two chapters of the game spending a lot of time just experimenting with how the different weapons interacted with each other and how their cooldowns lined up and, you know, which ones were best for trying to stagger a mech versus which ones were best for damage after they were staggered and, and stuff like that. Like, I definitely found just toying with it all to be one of the most satisfying parts of the game. At first, I was being very stingy. I didn't buy much of anything. I was replaying missions to make sure that I had more than enough money before I decided to buy anything. Now at the point I'm at in the game, I have millions upon millions of dollars and I've basically bought every weapon I've come across as I've come across it and I've still no sign of it going away. So feel free to spend freely if you're, if you're also in that camp of trying to save all your money. The scale of money changes a lot as you get further For sure. in the game, but yeah. I don't think the prices really scale with it. No, not really. Because like the first couple of missions you do will give you 30, you know, 50,000 dollars i don't know it's called like c-o-a-m i don't know yeah. what that stands for <laughs> yeah, i don't know we'll say dollars though but, for <laughs> yeah. yeah as you get further in the game you start spending like two hundred thousand dollars on just your ammo <laughs> and then the mission <laughs> yeah. itself pays you like six hundred thousand <laughs> yeah there are definitely times where i have walked out of a mission where I've earned like several hundred thousand dollars, but I've also spent a couple hundred thousand on ammo and repairs. And but but you just money just flies so freely as you get further into the game. Like I found this one particular mission. You could probably do it in two minutes if you were quick. That pays like five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so I mean their money is not an object as you get further into the game. Like, almost to the point where I kind of questioned why they weren't just giving me the, what, the guns at that point. <laughs> I think it would be cool if there was kind of more of a system where maybe you get harder missions every once in a while. You know, like, it, the game has the arena, which can be fairly difficult sometimes, but 
I think it would be cooler if you ran into those mechs that you fight in the arena, like in the open world or something or not open world, but like if you got special contracts to go take them out and that's how you got new weapons and new, you know, pieces for your mech. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. There are a couple of missions that are like that. Like uh, I got a flamethrower fairly recently through doing a semi-optional mission. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think there are any truly optional missions, but there are some that are less story relevant than others. (laughs) There are also chests kind of scattered around some missions, but I I don't know if there's like one every mission and I've just missed 90% of them. (laughs) I was kind of wondering the same thing because I've only probably found five in the entire game, maybe. And I couldn't imagine it's just that I'm that unobservant. Although I could be, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me that much, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, let's talk about the arena a little bit. So, you know, you do progress to these story missions, which are get from point A to point B and destroy a robot for a narrative reason of some kind. But you also have sort of this in fiction virtual arena where you fight against other armored cores. And it's sort of a quick, normally like two minutes or so fight. Where it's just you go in guns blazing against another armored core and one of you will be left standing. The game uh, really emphasizes these quick and brutal one-on-one fights. And while I do think they're a little too short for their own good sometimes, I will say I had a lot of fun with all of them. I really, really like the arena in this game. Partially because of the getting to run and gun and blow up a bunch of stuff but more because I got to see other builds and how they fit together and why they worked the way they did. And I definitely picked up some pointers for what to do with my own AC by what I ran into in the arena. I think you also get their blueprints. So you could just take out that specific mech that you fought in the arena and just try it out yourself, which is kind of cool. That was something I thought the game offered, but I wasn't interested enough to like actually try it. When I wanted to take some ideas from a specific AC, it was more just their weapon combo <laughs> and how yeah. it worked together. I'm like 99% sure that I used it once or twice in like the D rank arena and then I didn't mess with it again. But hmm. honestly, could have been a dream. It felt very disjointed from the main game. It felt weird that my character was wasting time in a virtual <laughs> arena, even if it was like real experience. But I definitely felt, I definitely still felt compared to compelled to do the arena missions as soon as I got to them because one they were fun two I learned a lot of stuff about other ACs but also when you complete arena fights you get what are effectively skill points that you can use to buy passive skills and those passive skills are really your only like incredibly fixed progression in the game because all of your mech building stuff, there are always going to be trade-offs when you upgrade or swap out a part. Even if it's one that's minor and it's one where one is clearly better across the board than another, every time you actually like swap out a mech part, there is going to be some downside, even if it's minor. Whereas these passive upgrades you get from the arena are just flat. You are x percent better in this stat or do x percent more damage with this weapon type or your healing items do this much more health or whatever that I really liked. I like there still being a linear progression system mixed into the rest of this, which is a lot meatier. I liked some of the options that it gave you too, like the weapon shedding or just being able to equip multiple hand weapons that you can switch between. I feel like those really changed up the way you were playing in some missions. Like 
you know, I'm running around with two miniguns, but maybe I want to switch one of them to a sword or something like that. Because I think the melee in this game is really powerful. It's just a little bit more situational. And I think that uh, generally a minigun does about the same as a sword once you get into sword range. As long as the other AC isn't so fast that they're just running circles around you. Because sometimes you'll get into a fight like that, and if you have a heavy mech, then it's going to be a headache. I do like that if you die, you can just go back to the, the assembly and kind of change your armored core. If you get to a really difficult boss, you're not stuck fighting it with the same mech that you used to get to the boss when you were just fighting like random ads. I definitely relied on that maybe a little too much <laughs> uh, because most of the time I would start a mission using my spider mech with like four very different weapons. But then if I would get to a specific boss that I just was barely making a dent in after like two tries, then I would swap into my, you know, heavy armored tank with the mini guns and stuff <laughs> and then just absolutely destroy them. Now I will say, the the minigun thing is actually an interesting point because I don't think that there, there being a couple of just ridiculously powerful weapons that completely overshadow the others is inherently a bad thing. I think my complaint with the balancing is more just that you get the good stuff in this game so early. Like the miniguns are pretty much without question the best guns and the best primary weapons in the game. But the problem is... You get them like halfway through chapter two, which feels way, way too early to get weapons that powerful. <laughs> yeah, I I went a while without changing my mech from like the big, like when I got those mini guns to like halfway through chapter three. And then when I got, when I was getting near the end of chapter three was when I was finally like, all right, I need to spice things up a little bit. This is getting a little boring. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the decisions I've made regarding my AC, especially later in the game, hasn't really been because I'm trying to get what I think is the objectively best gear on it. It's more just, this will be more fun if I replace this with this. Like, for example, you get a, a laser sword in the very beginning, then you get like an upgraded laser sword a little bit later that replaces like a multi-attack thing with this big AoE attack that does a ton of damage. And it's probably still the best thing I could have in that weapon slot, if I'm being honest. But about halfway through Chapter 4, I swapped it out for a, a mechanical punching thing, like a fist. It's like it has like a rocket on the back that shoots you to an enemy, so you can punch them, and then that knocks them back, and then you can boost to them again and punch them again. Like, I swapped to that, not because I think it's actually better, because I just think it's a really cool weapon and it's fun to use. I would say the sword is probably still the like objectively better option in terms of damage output and the amount of area it can hit and the fact that it's better for dealing multiple enemies, but like all that. But I just think the punch is more interesting and more fun to use, so I used it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that we've really talked that much about how the actual combat works. I think we've kind of skirted around it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can we can hone in on that one moving your mech is on the surface very similar to the way you would move a character in any third person action game but the the big distinction is just the fact that you do have these four weapons you can fire independently of one another at any time so it plays like a third person shooter 
Except instead of just having like one gun in your hand, you have four. You have, you know, one on each trigger and then one on each of the bumpers. So you have those four weapons you can fire independently, but you can also be running on the ground. You can be using your jets to kind of skate around on the ground. You can be hovering. You can be shooting forward like a jet. Like the movement options in this game are kind of wild. And when you partner that with the fact that you have four weapons, you can be firing off completely independently of each other in terms of ammo and cooldowns and all that stuff. Like you can just be throwing everything you got at every enemy constantly. And it's always so big and explosive and in your face. And that was what really hooked me about this game right from the get-go. Even before I got the upgrade systems, before I got the gameplay hook, before I understood what was going on in the world, just being able to fly around and just bombard enemies with bullets and explosives and lasers and all that was just so cool. And that stays cool through the entire game. Like, that never stops being fun, even when other systems start to wear off. It's really cool. And I like how it feels really different. Like, nothing mechanically changes between when you're in, like, the field and you're just fighting, like, a whole bunch of random small enemies that, you know, they all fire at you at once and there's hundreds of them versus when you are in, like, a one-on-one fight as you get further in the game or, like, further into a mission. I like that nothing mechanically changes, but it still feels like the experience is different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of hard to put into words where it's just like your focus goes beyond just taking as many enemies out as possible to, all right, well, how am I going to stagger this enemy? And then once I get that enemy staggered, how am I going to make sure that I'm able to deal as much damage as possible while it's not able to move? Right. And like, Those individual small enemies, like, they have stagger bars, but they generally have so little health that it doesn't matter. And, you know, sometimes you don't even stagger them before you actually kill them. But then at the end of a mission, like, you're almost always going to run into a bigger mech that is probably going to need to be staggered, you know, four or five times before you're actually able to take it down. And it's kind of that switching gears that I think keeps the game so fresh and interesting. Because, like, when you're in those one-on-one fights... I think that there's more of a focus on how you use your weapons versus just what weapon am I using? (laughs) I think that it kind of throws you into the deep end, which I know that basically every FromSoft game does that these days, but it's kind of weird at the very beginning of the game because at the end of the first mission, or I think it's one of, I don't know if it's the first one, but it's very early on. Like there's this helicopter that you have to fight that flies around the battlefield constantly. It's way faster than you and has just a crap ton of health. And I I think that it really throws you into the deep end there. And then immediately after, there's nothing even really remotely challenging for (laughs) probably an hour or two. (laughs) Yeah. So that is the very first mission of the game. It's probably less than than 20 minutes in. You come face-to-face with this giant helicopter. And that fight at first was so overwhelming that like I went down so fast and I was just like, well, this has got to be one of those you're supposed to fail type things that happen in the beginning of some RPGs. (laughs) And then it was like, nope, try again. (laughs) Uh, But it also didn't take as long to come to terms with how to handle those situations as I expected, because the answer was always be more aggressive than you thought was safe because (laughs) The best way to deal with that helicopter and enemies like that is to 
get right in their face with swords and fully automatic weapons and barrages of explosions. And that is something that I had to like keep teaching myself every time I'd come across a new boss. It was almost always the answer is be more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a little bit different from something like Dark Souls or Elden Ring, where mm-hmm. like you definitely need to be aggressive in those games, but I think Armored Core kind of pushes you to be way more aggressive than that even like dangerously so like i feel like when you're playing elden ring every time you get hit feels like a failure in armored core you're gonna get shot a thousand times every mission like there's just gonna be so many bullets and explosions and lasers all over the screen you're going to get hit a lot but also you can withstand a lot as long as you make good use of your time and you're picking off enemies quickly enough and you're you know getting close to the ones that you need to because not only do enemies need to be staggered, but they also don't, they take significantly reduced damage if you're not in effective range. So, like, we talk about the miniguns a lot being super powerful, but you also have to be within like 100 feet of the enemy for the miniguns to actually be effective. And every weapon has like a different range like that. And most of them require being closer than you would expect to your target. Yeah, I think that's another thing that's pretty cool is like how the different weapons kind of require you to find a different range to play at. Right. Because obviously there's this big balancing act with any of the ranged weapons where it's like, well, you want to be close to them because one with most of the targeting modules that you can equip, it's easier to, it's easier to take out things that are closer to you. Of course. And two, you know, if you're too far away, then you have the issue where maybe your bullets start ricocheting off their armor. Or if you're too close to them, maybe they're going to easily strafe around you. I think there's uh, a lot of fun with that balancing act. And it kind of keeps you on your toes anytime that you do want to switch your weapons out. And I always, you know, I was always like having to fight with myself of, okay, do I want to make sure I'm covered at all ranges? Do I want to go heavy in on this one specific range? And and I eventually learned that the answer is it depends. <laughs> you know, generally speaking for bosses, you want to be able to deal continuous damage up close. But when you're tr- dealing with a lot of smaller enemies, you want to be able to, you know, pick them off at further range and... You know, they just they do a good job of not only making you experiment with it, but also giving you lots of good reasons to do both or, you know, all the options at different times. So one thing that I know the game is getting a lot of praise for, but I just don't love is the visuals because I understand like this game is very high fidelity, well made it does a good job of the environments looking like the way they're supposed to look and fitting the style of the game. But that being said, I think this game is pretty ugly other than the ACs themselves. Not in terms of a not well-made way, but in terms of a lots of very bland and repetitive environments and lots of gray and brown. (laughs) And I know that's not something that you can like fix so to speak but i did feel like a lot of the maps were very repetitive and sort of blurred together because there weren't a lot of standout things in the environment like even when you were in cities they looked like they were just kind of copy and pasting block after block after block (laughs) sometimes yeah I, i definitely get that it just I don't think the game was much to look at other than the ACs themselves, which generally speaking, the AC takes up almost the entire screen, almost to the point where it's an impediment sometimes. 
and you can make your AC bright neon colors with bright lights and all sorts of crazy particle effects are happening on screen. So I'm not saying the environments being bland is like an is like a huge hit to how the game looks overall, but I do think you know the vistas and the landscapes are not pretty, <laughs> which they're not supposed to be, but it's still kind of bleh sometimes. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily helps that almost all the environments you go to are either covered in snow or like highly industrialized. Right. Which again, I understand the narrative justification for that, but I just don't think it looks good. (laughs) I think there's some more interesting areas like when you get closer to the the crimson stuff. I forget what it's called. (laughs) Coral. Like, yeah, the coral. Like, some of those areas where you can see the coral veins kind of starting to appear. I think that those places can look kind of interesting. And I think yeah. that the red does a lot to make the environment stand out and the way it lights everything around it is really cool. But yeah, yeah, it, it definitely suffers from areas don't super stand out from each other. Yeah. And it, it's tough because it's hard not to compare it to like Elden Ring, for example, which I don't think Elden Ring was necessarily the most realistic looking game, but it it had just incredibly striking visuals sometimes. I mean the Erd tree stuff and you know some of the specific cities and things in the game were just absolutely gorgeous with these bright colors that really stood out and caught your eye from you know way across the map. And this game just doesn't really have any equivalent of that because the focus is always on the robots. It's never on the environments and the world other than the few parts where the coral is really important. So that said, like I think that the armored cores can look really cool and I love how much detail there is on them. Like, uh, as you take more damage, your armored core starts to get more wear and tear. It's paint job starts getting messed up. And I mean, that applies to just about every mech that you run into in the game. The visual customizations are also just really cool in general. Like, I think you have a lot of options. You have a lot of individual parts. You can paint different colors. You can control all the parts of your of your AC completely independently of one another, so you can do all kinds of stuff to brighten up specific parts. Or, I mean, I saw some pretty cool designs online where, like, every single part was a different primary color in a very, like, toy box-looking way that was cool. And I've seen people recreate Gundams and stuff from Neon Genesis Evangelion and, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff because this is just such a diverse customization kit at your disposal. And I'm not super creative to like really make the most of that kind of thing, but I still had a lot of fun with it. You know, I made some stuff that I thought looked pretty cool and it has like logo and uh, decal designs, which I thought were a lot of fun and I made some pretty stupid stuff with. Yeah, I think it's a lot like Forza in that regard where like there is so much cool stuff that you can mess around with, but I am not the guy that's going to do it too much. <laughs> yeah. I picked I def- a paint job that I liked fairly early on and mostly stuck with it. Yeah. You know, I'd make like small changes when I got different parts, but right. I'm no Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess let's close in on our conversation. Jason, how have you been feeling overall? Honestly, I liked Armored Core a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I think in the first chapter or maybe chapter and a half, it, it wasn't really clicking with me. I wasn't, you know, super able to get into it. 
I generally didn't like it when I ran into an actual challenge in the game. It was like an annoyance, but I think as I got further into it, I really started to appreciate it a lot more. Mm. Um, like I said, I messed around with the builds, you know, more often and, you know, tried different weapons and different armor, different types of legs, you know, all the big stuff that actually changes the way you play at least a little bit as I was going through it. And I think that's part of what made me enjoy it more. Other than that, I mean, I, I think the way that it tells its story is unique, fairly interesting. I don't think it's a story that I was super invested in, and I don't think that there's really much they could have done to the story to make me get invested without, you know, massively changing everything about it. <laughs> At the end of the day, I mean, I think Armored Core's bread and butter is going to be its gameplay, and I think that the gameplay is really good. I think, you know... Like I said, whether you're fighting in the battlefield with enemies all over the place or if you're fighting, you know, one big enemy, I think that it's really interesting the different ways that you have to play and it's just a whole heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. Recommend the game to anybody that's really missing those mech games from back in the day. You know, it's not the same kind of vibe as something like Titanfall, but it's also not super far removed from it. As weird as that sounds, <laughs> I think the customization is awesome, and I, I think that's going to be something that people talk about for a while with Armored Core. You know, like anytime a new game comes out, they're going to be like, well, does it have the same kind of customization that Armored Core has? And the answer is almost definitely going to be no about <laughs> any game we get until Armored Core 7. <laughs> but yeah, that's just about sums up my thoughts on it. Pretty dang good. Jordan? How about you? How are you feeling about it? I was definitely in the same boat of I've liked it way more than I thought I would. And I definitely think there's a lot to love here that I, I think just you're not getting from any other game right now. Because just this pure and simple kill a robot, make some money, buy better parts, kill more robots. Like I think that that is such a solid hook in and of itself. And when you couple that with the fact that this game has these very classic, very short, very discreet missions and the fact that there are so many ways you can build out everything you want to do in this game i just think that this is going to be one of those games that a lot of people are going to really love and specifically it's a game people are going to come back to like i definitely found this game to be most enjoyable when i would sit down play three or four missions and then you know come back to it the next day or several hours later or something and more often than not if i don't finish a game it's because we were really pressed for time and we wanted to get the review out. Whereas with this game, I definitely could have finished it by now. But the reason I haven't is just that I really want to savor these last couple of chapters. And I really want to give every mission its due and focus really, you know, be really methodic about my builds and what weapons I'm using and what armor and what legs. Like, I want to give the game the thought that it's due. And there aren't a lot of games that I think have sort of extracted that kind of interest from me in a while. So I've, I've really been happy with it. I do think it has some pretty significant balancing issues, and I do think you get the really good stuff a little too early in the game, which does mean you don't spend as much time experimenting and upgrading and trying out new builds as you get further in the game. But I've still really, really enjoyed the time I've spent with it. And I'm really, really glad that this is a game that has so much diversity in build 
in its DNA because this is a game that I know I will continue to pick up periodically and just run a couple missions or try to get better ranks on some of the missions I've already done or, you know, try a build that hinges on this weapon type or this, you know, suit of armor, whatever. Like there's just so many ways you can switch this game up that I'm, I'm really excited about. But yeah. that's already a lot of armored core talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. What is something else that you've been into? So over the weekend, uh, starting September 8th and running through September 11th, which if I was them, I would not want that date associated with my game, but whatever. I don't work for Starbreeze. Uh, There was Payday 3 beta and... I was a big Payday 2 fan back in the day, so you know I had to get my friends together, and we all checked that out. And by friends, of course, I do mean my fiancé, my brother, and one friend. (laughs) Payday 3 Veda, I think that it was pretty good. I think that, like, the gunplay has kind of improved over the last game. The police AI is kind of weird. (laughs) I thought it was really strange when we were playing how often the police would just rush in and accidentally, like, throw a grenade and kill a bunch of our hostages, but, you know, I'm assuming that's the kind of thing that they're going to work on between now and when the game actually releases. (laughs) Yeah, so it is kind of funny right now. I do think that it is still a fun game, and I'm excited to play the full release, but... I think right now the fact that the police AI played so haphazardly uh, is a is a real wrench in the works because you know taking a hostage should hypothetically stop pe- stop them from like coming into the building with you, whereas they're just like running in guns blazing even if you have your gun trained on a hostage. Uh, this is a grim game to talk about though. <laughs> Uh, I, it was a lot of fun though. I'm, I'm excited to see like what the full game has. And there are, there were like a couple of small fixes that I think would go a really, really long way, which I'm sure will happen before launch or not long after, if not. From my understanding, this open beta was the same as like a closed beta that they did a few months ago. I think Mm -hmm. this was more for, you know, making sure that the game doesn't have any huge bugs that they don't know about or you know that it's going to run properly on a decent number of machines because when you're developing a game like everybody's running pretty similar hardware because you know you want it to run the same on everyone's computer while they're developing but open beta like this is a good way to get in as many people's hands possible yeah i do wish that it had more than just a single heist uh because it didn't really feel like there was any reason to play for more than a couple hours i think we ran that single heist three or four times we only mm. actually finished it two of those times, but <laughs> yeah, I still think it was pretty fun. I also think personally, I would have changed it to be something more like the jewelry store heist from Payday 2. Probably just one of my favorite heists in general, probably just because of how many times I've run it. It was a good, easy one that everybody could do. You could introduce people to the game with it. I think it was just the first heist in the game. This one was more of a bank vault heist and... One phase had just a lot of standing around and there really wasn't anything you could do while you were waiting. I think the map could be a little bit more fleshed out with stuff to do to keep you interested other than just fighting the police. That said, I mean, I think we all had a good time and I'm really excited for when the full release arrives. You know, that's really all I got. Jordan, how about you? What have you been up to? 
Jackson and I spent the weekend at the Moon River Festival in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was headlined by Hosier, who was one of my absolute favorite musicians and was really the big selling point. And, uh, you know, his show was, of course, fantastic. I couldn't say enough great things about Hosier and his music. But what I actually want to talk about is another band that we discovered while at this festival, a group called the 502s. They are sort of a mix of like a kind of folky kind of country, but with like a big band kind of thing added into it. Really hard to put a pin in, but very, very cool. These guys were one of the most high-energy performances I've ever seen. You know, the the lead singer is up there playing the banjo and doing choreographed dances for the songs, and, like, he's just so into it and having a good time, and they have these other musicians that are all over the stage, and at one point they were even, like, trading off instruments that different people could go up and sing lead in different songs, and, like, this band was just all over the place. They were super energetic. They were super exciting. They seemed to really love what they were doing. Like, it was one of the most fun acts I've ever seen, and I have been listening to their music on repeat, like, nonstop since we got back. It's it's not going to be for everybody, because I think it's this very aggressively positive, <laughs> uh, life is good, be happy type of energy that I know some people just don't vibe with in a lot of music, but I just think that they are so much fun, and their performance was so cool. And, like, I, I, like I still get chills thinking about their, like, uh, their closer where they were all singing lead at different times and all had these big solos and were just, it was just like one of the most exciting performances I've ever seen and just really, really loved it. Um, the group is again, the, the 502s. If I would, uh, if I had to recommend something from their discography, I would definitely say that the, you know, one of their best tracks is their biggest one, the song called Just a Little While, which is, if you've heard any of their music, it's probably that one. But they also have some pretty great ones called like Hey Julia and Waves and the the big closer I was talking about is a song called Stories to Tell. Yeah, they they were just so much fun and they were definitely, other than of course Hosier's incredible performance, they were like the highlight of the whole festival for me. So yeah, they were they were really great. Not many bands have both a banjo player and a dedicated saxophone player. <laughs> so. Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on X, the app formerly known as Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Uh, we have tons of games we're going to be talking about in the near future. We have Starfield. We have Baldur's Gate 3. We have Super Mario Wonder. We have Spider-Man 2. All sorts of big games. If you want to send us your reviews for those games, we would love to read them on the podcast. Uh, we would love to engage with you however we reasonably can. So definitely send us an email and we'll, we'll get to it as quick as we can. Uh, lastly, you can find us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. We haven't been doing the best lately, but... We are closing in on the end of the Year of the Kong. Uh, we're only a couple streams away from finishing it. We're in the middle of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to finishing it up and everything that comes after the Year of the Kong. We have some fun stuff planned. and We're going to try to switch things up a little bit. You can find us there, all of our socials. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. 
and you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.